This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In her debut, Vanessa Lindsay takes us on an uproarious journey of spirituality, humor, and humility. Meta Mom brings the stories unheard outside our most intimate moments like teenage slumber parties, deathbed confessionals, and appointments with a gastroenterologist. Each humbling tale brings lifetimes of powerful lessons gleaned from healing and miracle making. Meta Mom provides sanity-seeking parents with heroic yet tangible steps to creating the harmonious family life they thought possible only in their dreams. For a decade, Vanessa Lindsay has been helping people resolve conflict through mindfulness. She's a gifted mediator and warm, fuzzy workshop facilitator, often called the sleeper at conferences, as her playful, vulnerable approach to mindful teaching surprises and delights audiences. Vanessa earned her BA in speech communications with honors from Bridgewater State University, where she was awarded the school's first internship through the Washington Center, serving Tribune Broadcasting's Washington Bureau as a field producer primarily covering the White House beat. She spent the next 20 years opening four profitable small businesses and writing her first book, a quirky perspective memoir entitled Meta Mom, A Mindful Guide to Managing Your Mood and Your Brood. Vanessa was trained and certified in professional mediation by Cornell University's ILR School, specializing in workplace disputes. She's collected dozens of empowerments in mediation, meditation, negotiation, and energy work including certificates from University of Massachusetts Center for Mindfulness and Anodia Judas Psychology of the Chakras. She currently serves as Operation Manager at Mediation Works, Inc. in Boston. The mindful mother of several can be found at home in New England, telling Alexa to play songs by Dolly Parton and crushing her children at Mario Kart. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Spiritual Practice and Mindfulness, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Christy Adloff host of the channel. Today I'm talking to Vanessa Lindsay for her new book, Meta Mom, A Mindful Guide to Managing Your Mood and Your Brood. Vanessa is also a communications expert who works on meditation and mindful communication. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Thank you, Christy. <laughs> I wonder if you would just begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in mindfulness. So I'm a Massachusetts native. I've lived here my whole life, except for a uh, a few months, years when I've lived um, in Washington D.C. as an intern for the uh, Washington Tribune's broadcast side, called Tribune Broadcasting. And then um, I also lived on cruise ships for a couple of years, which was really fun and strange. Um, but because- really fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. Um, a great way to spend my early 20s. Uh, so came back here to Massachusetts in the Boston area because I love it. And this is um, my home. And um, I had struggled with depression, really dysthymia, which is considered a low-grade chronic depression right. for 22 years, I'd say, from ages 11 to 33. And I found mindfulness when I was 33 years old, uh, very pregnant with my last child, my son. And uh, I, I needed it to bootstrap my way out of something that 
just wasn't working for me anymore. And I knew it wasn't working for me. So that's how I discovered it. It changed my life. These practices changed my life. And it wasn't just mindfulness. It was spirituality. It was a lot of yogi stuff, a lot of like out there woo-woo stuff that I would Mm -hmm. practice, which was really fun. Um, Because, you know, when I practice these things, I only want to do them if they're fun. If they're no fun, why would I why would I go there? So um, yeah, that's always one of the goals in my practices is to have fun um, doing it. And when you can have fun healing, it makes all the difference. So anyway, um, in in the name of fun and healing, people started to notice major differences and shifts in my life and would ask me, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And so my professional practice really started with family and friends and it just grew from there. So I've always been a writer and um, had been blogging uh, for years on different topics and um, writing for different magazines on different topics, more as freelance. And then I started writing um, about mindfulness and it was just flowing. It was really natural for me. I felt like um, the content that I was providing people was really meaningful and I was getting feedback like I had never gotten before. And eventually I realized I had a book in me and that was Metamom. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. So we can start talking about that then. I um, I noticed that your book was kind of broken down into three parts. In the first part of your book, you really kind of focus on understanding your history and your triggers. Um, and you kind of talked a lot about not placing those feelings that you have on the people in your life yeah. um, and how you came about doing that. And it reminded me a little bit about, I don't know if you ever read Dan Siegel's book, Parenting from the Inside Out. Mm-hmm. He talks a lot about being able to understand like what's going on for you so that you're not placing them on your children or the people you love. Um, and you kind of discuss a lot about journaling and how it helped you discover some of your triggers and to become unstuck. And I wonder if you could share that with people and kind of, um, I know you have nice guided questions at the end of them, but for people that haven't read your book, kind of talking a little bit about that process. Writing has been my lifeline since I was a little girl. So I wrote my first my first book. I think I was about nine years old. Um, and I, the book was written from the perspective of a young, a young boy going through puberty. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> Some, and I had no brothers. I barely had a father in the house at the time. And for me to write a book about going through puberty was from from a boy's perspective, was such a reach um, and so out of my wheelhouse that I don't even know how I got through the first chapter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, that's how that's how I started writing and really falling in love with the craft. And so, when I turn to healing practices, I generally turn toward things that are familiar. Um, I think that if you can be a little bit comfortable when you start. Uh, healing your life and your mind and your body, then mm-hmm. it'll make the practice easier to sustain. Um, I I did read Dan Siegel's book, and that was a, w- one of one of the things that I would find as I was reading all these self help books is that um, they would always, most of the time, I mean, sometimes people would refer to their own experiences. Right. Um, Dan Millman wrote in one of, in one of his um, Peaceful Warrior. It, I mean, that was his, you know a memoir for him. But um, he he wrote sitting down in meditation one day and 
um, his kids are coming in and they're bugging him and climbing all over him. And he's like, can't you see I'm meditating? (laughs) Can't you see I'm peaceful right now? And so um, I really appreciated when authors would share these moments of realness and vulnerability from a space of personal experience. And so, you know, a lot of these self-help books that I was reading were experts that were talking about their clients' experiences or their, or research studies. And what I knew for sure was that healing was really messy. And I was really interested in vulnerability and just sort of like turning over my mess and um, seeing what could come from the compost of my life. And Mm -hmm. Uh, vulnerability, I think, is one of my superpowers. I think I have a few superpowers. Um, and if I could tap into that and be brave enough to share like some of the kind of embarrassing things that I've been through, um, especially when I was in the prime of my depression, then it could really help people. Um, and I also, my intention was really touching my own community and being a voice um, for the people that I could touch. Um, I don't have a huge following. Um, I'm not a celebrity. Um, I'm very accessible to people. And I think that when people have real problems and are looking for um, practical solutions and practical advice, it's really helpful that they can turn to a neighbor. Um, Tip O'Neill, the late, great Tip O'Neill, former Speaker Mm -hmm. of the House said, all politics is local another great Massachusetts guy. Um, and Mm -hmm. you know, I know, I know that applies to politics and I, and I really do believe that applies to pretty much anything. You know, if you really want help, you can watch Oprah and you might get inspired, but you also need somebody who's willing to like get deep in the mud with you, um, and that you can access. And I, and I, I like to be that person for people. That's actually a huge strength and it's definitely something that's needed. Um, I think there is something very real and I did appreciate your willing to share your stories um, through your depression and and also the different ways that you kind of came at it um, with your dysthymia and trying to understand like what's going on and recognizing that there was multiple steps as you kind of talked about your dad, for example, and like you, you dealt with one piece of your dad through journaling. And then later on, there was like other pieces that you kind of discussed, um, and so just I'm wondering what that experience was like for you, kind of how you were seeking other spiritual healings or looking for other ways to understand yourself and find your triggers. And again, like I know you did talk a lot about this in the book, but just I find it, you know, inspiring for people to recognize that there's lots of ways to go about this. Yeah, that that's so true. Um, and and I hope that my story speaks to the people who can resonate with me and my right. approaches um, because my approaches will not work for everybody. I am extremely nonlinear in the way I think and in the way I live my life. Um, and I've always been that way. I think the difference between me then and me now is that I trust the universe and the way it's working through my life. And so mm-hmm. I don't get so uncomfortable with the nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some, there was like a spaghetti test that, that I had to experience in order to find the right things that worked for me mm-hmm. to move myself through this, this yuck that I'm like constantly referencing throughout Metamom, the, the yuck of my life, which really stemmed from this, this trauma of, rejection, abandonment, desertion by pop, by my father. Um, So 
I knew it was a, pro- I always knew it was a problem. I didn't understand the depth at which it was affecting me and my relationships and my children. And, um, once I started to understand, to understand that I was passing it forward to my kids, then everything catalyzed. And I was like, Ooh, I gotta, I gotta experiment. I gotta find solutions here because mm-hmm. this, this ain't going to work for my two-year-old who's sitting across the counter from me asking why, why I never smile. I, I, yeah, I, that's heartbreaking. When I read that, I was like, Oh yeah. I, I um, shared that at a, at a book reading when I first started, um, talking about Metamom publicly and I could not get through that line without Aww, sobbing. It's really hard to see your children in pain and to, and to know, or to, it's like, she's feeling hurt by watching my hurt. So she's mm-hmm. exercising some compassion, which is really beautiful. So I know there's a lesson in it somewhere for her. Um, but I was able to see her, her compassion, register it as hurt and, and me, and then start taking action. So it's like, if you can capture these, these tiny moments and, um, and put words or feelings or labels on those shifts that occur with the tears and with, with the, like this trauma that's bubbling up into the, into the present moment, this past trauma that's bubbling up, like while you're sitting at the counter with your child. Um, And I'm sorry, I'm just realizing your audience likely probably hasn't um, read the book. So when um, I first started to really understand um, what was going on, it was when my my daughter, Penelope, which she was my, my first daughter from scratch. So I have a, a stepdaughter who um, is nine, I think 10, nine or 10 years older than her. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then I had Penelope. So she was a baby and I'm just, doing my mommy thing and, you know, scrubbing counters and making food and playing, you know, toys with her. And I'm, I just looked miserable and I didn't realize it until she said, mommy, why don't you ever smile? And, um, it just inspired this like full on ugly cry. Like my face was contorted. I was sobbing like mascara running down my cheeks. And I just remember looking at her at her. She didn't understand why I was sobbing, but I was like, I don't, I don't know why I can't smile, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's kind of what the movement was for you. That was the movement. And, and even still today, you know, I'll have these times where, um, you know, I'm, I'm like living my bliss as best I can, but even today I'll have moments where I can see, I can see the yuck stirring and I'm like, Oh, I see you. I'm not going (laughs) to let you come up all the way and get me but I see yeah. you coming. And when I do, sometimes I'll warn my kids and be like, okay, I've got some yuck that's stirring up for me. But like, I want you to watch me closely and watch me rise out of it. Like watch me because I'm going to do great things and I've got magical powers and, and I'm not afraid of having you watch me go through this because I know that I'm going to get to the other side. So like, because well, they teach them too, right? Like there's the mirror neurons that we know exist that kids watch us and they see how to be in the world. And I think they see how dedicated I am to my, like my wellness my, mm-hmm. my like mental stability. I really care about my mental health. I really care about kindness. Um, and I really, I, I care about helping people and doing my best. And, um, and I think when they see me trying so hard, um, they're, they can reprioritize that for themselves too. And for their friends, you know, and, mm-hmm. and pass that forward on, onto their friends. So that's sort of like the drop that causes the ripple that causes the wave and sort of like washes over the whole world. Um, 
but yeah, it was, it was to, this is a really long answer to your question, but, um, tapping into all of those practices was, like I said before, a spaghetti test for me. And, um, sometimes they worked. Sometimes they were really weird. (laughs) Sometimes, um, I would learn spiritual practices, um, that didn't necessarily work for me, but, um, they allowed me to have conversations with other people who were in their yuck and I could pass on something that might work for them and it did work for them. So I think that's kind of the, you know, just finding a way to meet people where they are, where they are and using whatever tools you have in your toolbox. Um, Mm -hmm. even knowing that even if it doesn't work for me, it might work for somebody else. There's a reason I have this tool now. And I've got to, I'll put it to use at some point, whether it's for me or whether it's two years from now when I'm coaching a, a client. That's great. Um, and so it sounds like, and because you kind of broke it up and one of the things you did say, and there's a quote that um, you had talked about that also that it's like, we have to kind of work on ourselves before we can then also be there for others in our life. Yeah. And so um because then you do shift the first part of the book. You really do talk a lot about your experience and the different things that you've tried. Similarly to kind of give people an idea, like you mentioned journaling and there was meditation and um, I'm trying to remember. You have a lot of them, like traveling, like if- walking, yes. exercising. Um, and then I guess like when people think about working, is there one that you feel like works best for you? Or is it depending on the situation? For me, I, well, see, this is interesting. So um, so the, or maybe it's evolved too. It's, a, it's, it's, I'm constant, we're all constantly evolving, right? right. So, um, so the, the three portions that I broke the book down into were based on a um, lesson that I learned from the Dalai Lama. Um, I saw, mm-hmm. I, I had the pleasure of, of learning from him in person a couple of times in Boston. That's pretty amazing. It yeah. was great. Um, you know, when you sit a few feet away from this man and you, you, you take in his energy and his lessons and his intensity and the things that he says, they just stick to you. <laughs> they right. like they <laughs> bonk you in the head and you, they, you, they just resonate. You start to embody something happens and you just start to embody the lesson without even trying. Um, and that's why I think it's so special to have moments where you can learn in person from a guru like that. Um, Mm -hmm. but I just, he, and I, and I say this in the book, he just, he pointed this finger at all of us and he was sort of making eye contact with everybody and he's, and he's all broken English. And he's like, first you, then your family, then your neighbor, (laughs) then whole world. And he starts laughing in this like strange way. And we're like, okay, that wasn't really funny, but he's laughing and we all start laughing. And it's like this thing that spreads all throughout this big room of people and we're all laughing. Um, but that was real, that was such a powerful message for me. Um, and when I was organizing the book, I was, I was like, how do you organize this? Because it is so nonlinear. And how do I, mm-hmm. how do I put all this together? And I kept coming back to like, that's a great way to organize it. And that's meta is, you know, working through yourself first. So, um, when it, when it comes to all these different practices that you can engage, I think that over and over and over, no matter what the practice is, it all comes back to the practice of Metta. 
um, mm-hmm. which, which meta is a formal practice, but it's also sort of like a, a meta meta <laughs> practice right. of meta. So, um, and for those that don't know, do you want to explain a little bit what meta is? Yeah. So meta is, um, a poly word that means loving kindness and mm-hmm. it's a Buddhist practice where you are offering, um, loving kindness first to yourself. And then you offer it to um, a benefactor, somebody that you love, um, non-romantically, typically. Um, And then you offer it to a neutral person. And then you offer that um, same loving kindness to a person who challenges you. And then you offer it to all sentient beings. So it's like this, um, this sort of like organized way of starting with yourself and then like like pushing on the, the, the creepy outskirts of your comfort zones <laughs> to um, be more and more inclusive. Um, so you start with, sometimes starting with yourself, you're the hardest person to forgive or you're the hardest person to wish love to um, because we're so hard on ourselves. Right. Um, we all have that inner critic. Oh, we're so awful to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. um, so sometimes that's the hardest. And and I'll even say like, hey, if you can't do it for yourself, just like give yourself a little like peck on the cheek and then move it on to somebody that that it's easier. So like even if it's it's your dog, if you can right. only offer meta to your dog right now, just offer meta to your dog and then um, try doing yourself again later on. So I think yeah. like you do the best you can with whatever stage and whatever mindset you're at right then. And um just like keep expanding. It's an awesome practice. I just, it, it's always changing because you're every day it's a different problem. Every day there's like a different, um, you know, antagonist in your life. Um, mm-hmm. Every day there's a, there's a new world drama that you're looking mm-hmm. to like resolve internally. Um, and right. so it, yeah, it really grows with you. Um, so I think that meta practice is great. Although I do. It's. I don't like walk down the street these days, being like, "May I be peaceful and at ease? May you be peaceful and at ease? May she be peaceful and at ease?" I. I don't do that on a daily basis, but there are some practices um, that I do turn to, including forgiveness. And I'll always start with myself, and then I forgive the person in front of me, and you know, okay. we go from there. Or like non-judgment. You know, I, first I really try not to judge myself too hard, and then I work to not judge other people too hard. So um, that's sort of like in the evolution of my personal practice. That's sort of where I am right right now. Although I, I feel like I have mastered forgiveness and, ju- and judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but there are tools that I, I revert to every day. Um, and now like I'm, I'm sort of in this whole world phase and I have been mm-hmm. here for a while and I'm really like, I'm just manifesting stuff like crazy. I am creator. It's amazing. Um, that's great. Uh, yeah, and, and and that's really, um, you know, this is it. like I am practicing the embodiment of creation. I am a creator. I am the creator. I have the creator inside of me, and so this is where I'm. I'm moving from here, and it just lends itself to all kinds of like gratitude, bliss, joy. Um, when I do fall back into those like little divots of yuck, I, there's always forgiveness, non-judgment. Those those are the two bad boys that really get me through. <laughs> well, that's part of what you've learned. What's really worked for you. Like if I can forgive myself, which I think there is a lot of research also about like self-compassion and loving kindness, kind of like what you were talking about the meta. Right. And even with both of those, there is this idea of like forgiveness and, and, um, and not judging yourself so harshly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, 
And that was one of the things I also really appreciated because then you kind of went to your children and there was two things that one made me laugh. You talked about your daughters going on a ski trip or your whole family was on a ski trip and you're fighting and, um, and you kind of decided that, okay, we're hugging it out. And, and, and they're like, really mom right here. And you're like, yep, right here. And you set your timer and you have this whole philosophy about why. And it did make me laugh because I was like, I don't know that my children would do that. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if they would, they would be like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, so I appreciated that. And then also just like you talked a lot about practicing that once you master non-judgment for yourself, you are able to then kind of um, apply it to your children. And really you talked about having the adolescence and kind of how they're really struggling to figure out who they are. And I feel like kids do tend to practice um, acting out and yelling more at home than they do in public typically. And that you want them to have that practice place. And you talked about how, even though you still have hard times that allowing your children to kind of be and find out who they are with that non-judgment, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you get there, like with your family. And cause I think that is a challenge for a lot of people. I think it's really hard work. I, yeah. I think there's this idea and that people think that meditation, mindfulness, it's, it's a, it's some version of perfection. It's like, if you're, if you're a meditator, if you're a mindful person, if you're a spiritual person, that must mean you're perfect or you think you're perfect, or there's some sort of like righteousness involved in the, in those labels. Um, and again, like going back to the beginning of this conversation, I really was interested in presenting a version of mindfulness that looked highly imperfect and, yeah. and downright messy sometimes. And then, um, it, like dappled with these moments of just wanting to like high five yourself. Like I nailed that one. It was weird. And people looked at me like I was crazy, but like, screw that. Right. <laughs> I, like, I spiked the football on that one and it worked. And, and yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope that people see both sides of my practice and that like, there were a lot of screw ups and um, there are a lot of successes. And then you just, you learn from both. And I think um, all that, and, and I think like having these really open dialogues, um, with the kids about the process of parenting and how difficult it is. I think they, I think they, I think they strangely appreciate it when I can look at my teenagers and be like, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm doing right now. And this is really hard for me. So if you can, I know you're angry and I know um, that you're impatient and feeling super anxious. I really want to help you get through this. I just don't quite have a solution for you right now. And I need some space so I can like get centered, mull it over. And then I'm going to come back to you because things escalate really quickly with the kids. You, I mean, your mom, you know, um, right. sometimes it gets out of control and then they're out of control. You're out of control. Everybody's crying and screaming at each other. And then somebody's swatting and then, you know, it, it's so hard to, um, reel that back in once it's out of the box. You're like, oh shoot. Yeah, um, we're all having temper tantrums together. <laughs> yeah. It's like everybody's yeah. exploding and melting down. And then right. all you want to do is like lock yourself in a closet with a bag of Halloween candy. Right. So um or a glass of vodka or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, I think that whatever whatever the moment is that you catch yourself is the right moment. Because whatever's happening, it needed to get that far so that you could become aware. Right. That's, 
that's the point. That's what it takes for you to get to become aware. Not, and it's an, it changes every day. Like sometimes your threshold is much different and some days you're going to be a superstar mom and, um, and you're going to, you're going to be aware, you're going to become aware before it even begins. And you're going to nip that in the bud, but it's like jogging. Like some days you can jog 25 miles and some days you can't get around the block. Like your mind is the same way and and your threshold is going to be different every day. So I think that's the point where you just have to keep forgiving yourself and being like, okay, like this is just where I am today. I'm going to do my best with what I have. I know I just screamed at my kids. I'm going to apologize to them because I need to today. And we're going to like start again. And so I think like if, if you can, find some sort of metaphor, like the jogging thing to present to your kids, um, Mm -hmm. in the moment to be like, I, I, today's the day I can't get around the block guys. Like I'm trying really hard. I just can't do it. Like let's team up here and work together so that we can find some peace in this house. Um, one of the things that I'll often say to my kids, and I think that it's pretty effective is like, there's a whole lot of mess outside our doors. Like you can walk into school and there are people having dramas everywhere. You can go to Washington, D.C. and you see there are politicians fighting. You go to a different country and you see wars on the streets. Like inside of our home, we have almost total control because we have control over ourselves. So if we can create peace in this home, like let's do that. This is an opportunity for us and let's like let's shoulder this one to the mountaintop and feel really mm-hmm. good about, about ourselves at home. And I think that they appreciate that. Um, right. So, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes they don't want to talk and sometimes they don't want to hear my lectures or sometimes they don't want to um, like be part of this mindfulness thing <laughs> that I'm always mm-hmm. perpetuating at home. And that's fine. Like I, I'm just really trying not to judge them because they're here to make mistakes. And if they don't make mistakes, then they're not living a life they're not growing. You know, the only place that we're going to grow is on the creepy outskirts of our comfort zone. And if they're too comfortable, then there's no growth. What's the point? That's not fun. It's fun to grow. It's fun to explore. Sometimes it's really fun to screw up and fix it. Um, I I ran a, I co-facilitated a big corporate negotiation last week. And um, there was a guy, it was like 25 people, two companies who are coming together and trying to like work out their differences and, and, um, work together productively. And there was Mm -hmm. a guy who had just joined the company, uh, four weeks earlier. And we kind of had an aside at one point and he said to me, and there was some drama that was stirring. And he said, you know, I really love this because, um, it's fun. It's fun to solve problems. You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to my, go to work every day and, you know, stare at a computer and dial it in? It's like, I could do that, but I'd rather be doing this because it's exciting. And I think it, it was such a, like for me, it was a, a little shift of a moment where I was like, oh yeah, that's some really good perspective. And you can apply that to the home too. I'm like, oh, we got a mess on our hands, guys. Let's rub our hands together and see how we're going to solve this one. So, um, yeah, it's reframing that idea, right? Like- yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Um, we don't have to be afraid every time there's a mess. We can kind of take a deep breath and let's work together and 
how can we come up with solutions? Yeah, and be and be collaborative at home, and then you can take that collaboration outside of the home too. Right. Yeah, I think that's great. There is a because I have been doing some meditation. It is hard for me, but um, one of the things that I really appreciated is, and I think it was in Sharon Salzberg's book, um, Twenty Eight Days of Meditation, and and she's talking. She was at a retreat and overheard like the famous Buddhist monk who was leading it kind of asked people, so how long were you able to meditate before your mind wandered? And the one person said to him, I, I did it all day. It was amazing. I just did it all day. And and the master says, oh, that's interesting because I was only able to hold it for two or three breaths. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of that idea that like, I think I agree with you that people kind of think that some of these things equal like this calmness or this like, um, that your mind is supposed to be completely clear. And that's really not the goal of it. The goal is, like you said, catching yourself when your house is completely chaotic and everyone's melting down and being able to like pause for a second and take that deep breath and get recentered and then kind of be there in a different way. Yeah. And really trying to find the creative way back to composure. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the reasons I have a big long list in the book of all these ways to, to stimulate your memory yeah. um, when like you're losing your mind at home. You, you need triggers around the house, like environmental stimulants to help remind you because the, the, the hardest thing about practicing mindfulness is remembering to practice mindfulness. We just mm-hmm. forget, you know, we're like so caught up in what we're doing. Um, it's just not on the forefront, but if you can set your environment up with little symbols. Um, Do you want to give some examples for people that? Yeah. Yeah. So I paint my toenails um, in rainbows. I'm often barefoot. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so especially I had a meditation studio um, for two years and I would teach like three or four classes a day and I was always barefoot. And so um, especially for me, when I can sort of for a long time, my default was dysthymia or depression. that's always sort of like there in the background for me. So when I feel myself like, hmm, that feels a little bit gray or like dark blue to me, these feelings that are in my body, I can look down at my feet and be like, oh yeah, I get rainbows on my feet. I, I have access to joy. <laughs> I forgot I can smile through this or I can find solutions or I can take another breath and start again. Um, you know, I um, like painting light switches blue, like turn on the light, and remember to be happy. Um, Right. You, I mean, there are so many, like if, if you love flowers, um, put fresh flowers on your kitchen table every day. Mm-hmm. And every time you see them, like stop and smell them or um, right. just remember to, to be grateful or to feel fresh or, um, you know, you can, um, there are so many, you know, your, a dog collar is, a, is great. Or like a little, mm-hmm. if you put a little bell on your cat's collar when mm-hmm. she runs around and it jingles, that could be a great stimulator. And I really appreciate those because I think for a lot of people that are parents, they think about meditation. They're like, when am I going to fit that into my day? And a lot of the things you're mentioning are these little like, it doesn't have to be sitting for an hour a day, right? It can be um, stop and smell the flowers and just making yourself more mindful of being present in the situation. That's kind of the idea of smelling the flowers that are in front of you. Yeah. And you know, I I think one of the best and easiest and freest. It's so free. You don't have to pay a dime for it. You don't have to search for it. It's not, it's not hiding anywhere. I would say to my kids, like this, this particular thing that I will share in a second, it's not like 
under their beds with the dust bunnies. You don't. Ha- it's not hiding behind the milk in the refrigerator. You don't have to go take out money out of the bank to pay for it. It's the sky. And you can look up at it, at it at any time and be reminded and be reminded that you're alive um, and that you're connected. And it's the same sky that everybody else is living under, no matter if they're the richest person in the world or the poorest person in the world or the most powerful person in the world or the smartest person in the world. We're all living under the same sky, under the same conditions. And it's really, I think, uniting. And one, one of my theories that I also share on Metamom is that, um, is that God is blue. And mm-hmm. I, I think um, that's why the, the sky is blue to re, as a reminder of God and that no matter where you are and no matter how bad things are, you all you have to do is open your eyes and God is everywhere. And you right. can see it, see that source energy um, from from a prison cell as long as you've got a window. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I was also intrigued about in the book is you mentioned and you said I'm not going to talk about it now, but it did intrigue me that you talked about taking your daughters, each of them, I think you've taken, but on a mother daughter spiritual adventure. Yes. And your idea of like helping other people come to this. And I just was wondering if you could little talk about that experience. I think it is the best. And you have a son as well too, right? So maybe it's also a mother child spiritual adventure. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, well, so my next trip that I need to take is with my son. Um, and it's a couple of years before I'll take him, but he, I'm going to take him to Greece. Um, mm. So there, there are a couple reasons, there, a very practical reason why, or two very practical reasons why this is so great is because, um, one, I'm a single mom and, um, it's expensive to travel. And so, and I love to travel. So it's, a, it's an important for me. It's, a, it's become important for my kids because over the years, um, travel is something that we've always prioritized. And, um, just because I was a single mom, I didn't want to deprive them of the opportunities to explore the world. And I can't afford to take all of three of my kids on, you know, a big adventure like that, but I can, I can squeeze out one at a time. And so I'll, I'll feed my kids ramen for weeks at a time (laughs) that I can afford a plane ticket. Um, so, you know, we, we, you make your heart. priorities. That's right. Whatever, whatever it takes. There's nothing wrong with ramen noodles. No. Um, so yes. So I took my daughter for her 13th birthday. Um, my daughter Penelope, I took her to, um, Peru and these trips that I take, they have to have a spiritual component, an adventure component, um, and a cultural component. And so we went to Peru and we did Machu Picchu, we did Cusco. Um, we had like shamanic healings at every mm. place we went to. We went with um, two dear friends of mine who are shamans and they're super talented. Um, Sacred Peru Tours, I think is their company's name. And I highly recommend them for anybody who's listening. Um, oh, just that's great. extraordinarily talented people and so well connected in the community um, that you're just in safe hands the whole time. Really beautiful. Um, that was an incredibly powerful trip for me. Um, and I believe it was for her too. Uh, so I think the other practical reason is that when you travel with three kids at a time, it's hard to have fun because everybody wants to do something different. They're different ages. They want different things. Um, but then there's this sameness that comes along with that too. And that if you get, uh, 
a trinket for one, you've got to get the same trinket for the other two. And so you end right. up spending all kinds of extra money on the stuff um, that I don't really want to bring back to my house. So I feel like <laughs> I could be more generous with them and um, and also have more freedom in the traveling experience and like, hey, um, so when I took my uh, my second daughter, Scarlett, to France, so we, we traced the steps of Mary Magdalene. And she balked. She was like, I don't want to go and have like a spiritual adventure with you. And I was like, well, then let's not go to France. Then we don't have to go. That's fine. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. I want to go. So um, when we got wait, there. That or not? <laughs> yeah. So she, so she loved it. Yeah. And um, so while we were traveling around, we could make decisions that for just the two of us. So it was great. I was like, okay, so um, do, we could um, eat crepes. And get um, fruit at the bodega, at the little convenience stores every day and just eat crepes and fruit all the way through and not spend money on expensive dinners. And then instead, I'll take you back to school shopping in um, Aix-en-Provence. And she's like, let's go shopping. So it was that, so funny. Yeah. So we had the, um, we had the spiritual component, um, which was amazing. And she loved it. And it was very powerful. And um, it connected her to these like really big concepts and really big ideas that I think otherwise she wouldn't have had the opportunity. Um, but it also involves a lot of hiking and movement and adventure. We went canyoning in the, in the gorges, gorges of Verdun, um, which was exciting. Um, and had great train rides and met friends and we went back to school shopping. So, you know, it's these one-on-one trips are extraordinary. And I, for, for me, they, um, required a lot of pre-planning. Um, and when I got back, I was like, geez, I, I need to get I need to get a bunch of moms to come out and do this with me with their 12, 13 year olds. Because I think the other thing is, is, you know, like Jewish people will have a bat mitzvah for as, right. a, as a coming of age. Um, and so I've attended a couple and, and I understand now how special this time of life is and how important it is to communicate and be really clear about thing about who your children are and who they're growing into and um, what are the next steps for them? Um, mm-hmm. what they appreciate about what they've been through and what they look forward to moving fo- moving into their futures. And um, these trips for my girls provided me opportunities to um, just get to know them at a really critical time in their lives. And um, I, Is that I, how you chose that age, like around 13, 12, 13, that we're going to take that trip? It wasn't a conscious decision, decision for okay. me. Um, it was, it presented itself. And I saw it as a great opportunity and I, and I captured it. I had taken the kids on other trips too. Like um, I had taken each of them on a local trip um, in the States one at a time to, to visit family one at a time. And that was really okay. nice too. But to, to have these like big adventures, no, that, yeah. that Peru tour came up and I was like, oh my God. And I, you know, once you know how opportunity speaks to you and resonates inside your body, when that tour came up for me, it was like chills everywhere. At first I thought I was going to invite my sister. She couldn't do it. And I was like, wait a second, it's on Penelope's birthday. I should be taking Penelope on her birthday. And then another wave of chills and then mm. presented it to her and just everything was working out. The timing worked out. She, you know, it was perfect. And I was like, okay, this is a good path for me. That's great. Yeah. So I know we've been taking up a lot of your time, but before I let you go, I'm just wondering if you want to share what you're working on now. Yeah. So, uh, um, 
it's interesting um, just how the path unfolds if you just keep on being brave and walking it, um, taking risks. So, so clearly I'm in my office right now. You can probably hear my <laughs> computer like consistently sending me email messages. Um, so I work in a mediation firm now. So I work in downtown Boston. Um, the firm is called MWI Mediation Works Inc. It's a nonprofit and we do uh, corporate uh, facilitate corporate mediations, negotiations in the workplace. Um, and we do a lot of divorce mediations. So Mm -hmm. when I went through my divorce, I came here and I had a tremendous experience. Um, it was, it was a good divorce as far as divorces can go that, you know, that, that, that saying, Oh, it was a good divorce. I actually had a good divorce. Um, It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And mediation, um, it just eased everything. And, and a lot of it is, is, is the approach that my ex-husband and I had coming into this process. And I think that's why we were so successful in it because he's a really nice person. And I hope to think that I'm a really nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can be nice people and still be at odds with each other. It doesn't mean you're not nice people. It just means like you've got conflict. And so, uh, you know, what I wrote about when I reflected on Metamom, um, was conflict resolution. It was like internal conflict. It was interpersonal conflict. It was like spiritual conflict. Um, and so after I had gone through this process in my divorce, I kept having all of these, uh, dreams or like I would meditate and sometimes have visuals of myself sitting between two world leaders, um, facilitating, Mm -hmm. uh, peace negotiation. And I kept thinking like, I'm, I'm just, um, on this side of a working mom. I'm, I was barely a working mom. I mean, I was basically staying at home and I would have all these, like, I was like a serial entrepreneur, a serial small business starter. And I was like, who am I to be sitting between two world leaders? And I kept thinking like, okay, higher self, like, I, I see what you're presenting to me, but it doesn't make any sense because I'm nobody. And, um, then I, I kind of had like a, like an, an aha moment where I was like, oh, I see. I'm supposed to be helping negotiate peace between couples, people, um, mm. work families. And so um, I did a lot of research on mediation um, and tried to find um, like a, a a facet of mediation that would meet me where I was and would make the best use out of my skills. And I realized, um, and I started reading a lot of books and every book that I read about mediation, I was like, oh yeah, this is mindfulness. Like this is my mediation. <laughs> this is what I've been teaching for six years. This is what I've been, you know, and it was so, it was such a natural progression. I found that the skills required for mediation were the skills that I had already embodied because I had been practicing and, and committed to my practice for so many years. And so, um, yeah, I, um, I think again, like I just, I'm a creator and so all kinds of wild things happen to me. And so I had put out a bunch of feelers just asking, um, people in this industry for interviews or, you know, saying, can you help me find a job? And also, you know, I'm a single mom, I've got a mortgage, mama needs to work. I need to bring home some bacon. Um, I also needed a full-time job with a steady paycheck. And, um, so I reached out to, um, the gentleman who mediated my divorce. And I said, if you know, do you, if you hear of anything that opens, let me know. And a few weeks later, he sent me an email and he's like, there's actually a position open here in this office if you want to come interview for it. And um, I read the job description and it was me. And I was like, oh, this is my job. Uh, yeah. Oh, like I just exciting. knew it. So I, I interviewed and got it. And so it's great because now I, I've got the stability that I need, um, which is wonderful. And I can also like help to proliferate this amazing practice 
of mediation, I really think that this is how you do like first you, then your neighbor, then the whole world. Conversations are everything. The way we communicate, the way we dialogue, whatever we bring to the table is what we're going to create. And um, if, if you can bring to the table peace and composure and openness and, um, and really like strong, um, compassionate, uh, communication skills, then everything's going to be just fine. Yeah, I agree. It's, I mean, um, it's kind of a starting point. And a lot of times, even I'll see couples and the issue is always communication and they come up lots of different ways, but it is like learning to speak to each other and being able to have hard conversations. Yeah. And and whether it's between couples or friends or parent child, or especially, you know, work, well, not especially, but, and workplace, um, you know, these, these workplace mediations are always about communication, always, um, you know, tenant, uh, landlord conflicts, they're always about communication. The more you can talk to people and tell people what's on your mind, tell people when you're hurting, understand your feelings. That's the other thing you know, practicing mindfulness allows you to understand your feelings so that when you do want to talk to somebody, you have clarity on who you are, how you feel and what you want. What do you want? What do you want from this conversation? What do you need from this person right now? Um, And what are some good questions that you can ask so that you can move through a conversation in a way that leaves everybody feeling good? And that's good collaborative conversation. And that's going to lead to peace. Yeah, it sounds like you've really kind of been able to hone in, like you said, and kind of go through this process yourself and learn about yourself. And as a result, kind of like you said, it's me, then then you, then the world. Um, And being able to know that these are the things that help me communicate and then I can now offer that to other people. Sounds like you've been able to really like use that skill that you, as you've gone through this journey yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think... um like in full circle approaching as much as you can with a sense of levity, um, joy, humility, humor. Um, if you can laugh at yourself, I think that's very helpful. Like starting the process, um, just depression, um, anxiety, um, conflict. These can be, this is, this can be serious business and it can lead to, um, like very difficult outcomes, um, if it's not treated and dealt with. Um, but as serious as it is, it's important to sort of draw back and find some perspective when you're dealing with any of these problems um, and know that the old line, they're not happening to you, they're happening for you. Um, so with that in mind, if you can find some way to treat yourself through joy, through something that's fun, laughing in the face of crappiness. I love to say that. Mm-hmm. Let's laugh in the face of crappiness together. Um, Cause mm-hmm. you can, you can evolve and heal in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. some of the ways that we choose to heal and evolve hurt. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. You don't look forward to it. I hate going to the gym. I don't want to lift weights. That sucks. It hurts. It doesn't, you know, for somebody else, that's great. But for me, that's not. So if I want to get my body in shape, I've got to find a way that I'm um, going to be compelled to do it again. And it feels good yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and so you just have to find that thing that feels good and, and sparks joy and, and just keep moving through it and as a way to, um, to get to the other side. Well, Vanessa, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoy talking with you and talking about the Meta Mom, which is the mindful guide to managing your mood and your brood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it does have lots of like I, prompts that the each of 
at the end of each chapter that kind of like offers some of the experiences that you've been talking about. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Christy. It was really a pleasure um, to be on your show and uh, I'm, I'm happy that I got the call. What fun. I know. Thank you. Yeah. We're all about fun here. <laughs> exactly. 